All right, what is worship? That's a hard question sometimes, and I think sometimes we pigeonhole worship to what we just did. You know, we all kind of gather and we sing, and that most certainly is worship, but today we're going to talk about the ways we worship, that there are different ways other than just what we just did, different forms of worship that we're supposed to bring to God. And join me as we read God's Word, as we learn about some of the maybe the more neglected ways that we look that we can worship God. We're going to be in Colossians three fourteen through 17 today, Colossians three fourteen through 17. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God, or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you loved us enough to give it to us. God, that you didn't just say, well, we'll just see what happens. But God, that you've given us uh, just a wonderful uh, book to be able to learn all about what you think about everything, Lord. That, that it applies to everything, either directly or in principle, everything that we, that we face in our lives, Lord. It is sufficient. It is all sufficient. It means that we don't need anything else, anyone else to tell us certain things, that your word actually will guide us and direct us, and your Holy Spirit will convict us and guide us and use your word to change us. So God, as we, as we learn more about your word here, may you help us to have uh, minds fixed upon you, hearts fixed upon you. May all of the things that we've been thinking about over the past week, things we're thinking about the following week, May you just help those things to dissipate, to go away, and help us to focus hard on your word and to learn from you, Lord. God, may you help me to preach what you want me to preach, not what I want to say, but may your word be what comes out, Lord. We praise you, we thank you, and we love you. Amen. So today we're actually only going to have a two-pointer. I know you all are like, wow, I thought, you know, I'm, post, I'm a post player today. I'm usually a three-point shooter, but today we're going to have a two-pointer. So we're going to talk about two ways that we should worship God. And the first one is, you should worship God through the way that you love. You should worship God through the way that you love. I'm going to reread verses 14 and 15 here. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. So put on, and we've heard that word a few times, right? Put on and put off. We talked about how that was like putting on clothes, uh, taking off the dirty clothes, putting off the dirty clothes, putting on the new self that Christ does for us. Yet the greatest thing we're supposed to put on here, we've been told to put on a lot of things, right? But the greatest thing that we're told here is the love. And we see Paul echo what he's already said in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He says, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Wow, I mean, isn't that amazing that love is higher than faith and hope? I mean, that's pretty, pretty incredible that, 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 that God says that love is where everything kind of starts. And it's because love what led to the cross, right? God is love. God is also just. God is also righteous, but God is love as well. And so if we want to mirror our Father, we want to be like our Father, well, we need to start with love, right? So we, we see this word love in both 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which we just read, and Colossians 3, 14. 
is the word agape. We've talked about agape before. It's been a while since we've talked about it. We can always use a good reminder because in our society, we use the word love a lot. Uh, we say, I love pizza. I love ice cream. Uh, Zane uh, the other day was eating ice cream with gummy worms, and he said, I love gummy worms, as he just smears it all over his face. And I mean, he definitely has a high affinity. I don't know if he agape loves those or not. And then I got a text from my wife, and I did ask for permission before I shared this, and she sends me a message after leaving Goodwill, and she's like, I love, absolutely love Goodwill. And I was just like, you don't know what I'm preaching on this week, do you? <laughs> so I just started laughing. That's one of, the, one of the benefits of being the pastor's wife, right? And I was, like, I was like, can I use that? I was like, now I will say her love for Goodwill, it may be higher than brotherly love, Philadelphia love that we see in Scripture, but I don't think it's quite agape. It may be somewhere in between, but she does have a high affinity for that establishment. We'll just say that. Um, but, you know, so, so we use the word love a lot, and, and we only have that one word for love, whereas the Greek has multiple words for love. And this word agape is a sacrificial love. It's a love that only comes from Christ. It's an, a love that we can only do if we have Christ dwelling inside of us. That's why unbelievers can't love sacrificially, truly sacrificially, like Christ loves. And then we see that, that, that Paul moves on to say that this love binds everything together binds everything together. So three weeks ago, we talked about being charged to follow Christ by forgiving others. That was tough, right? And we talked about how it's kind of difficult sometimes to deal with our brothers and sisters, whether they're our family, whether they're in our church, whether they're wherever they're at. Sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes there's strife in the church. Sometimes there's differences there. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard work, and we kind of talked about how putting on patience was, was like what? Putting on skinny jeans. I know I probably gave you all some bad uh, bad images there, but I won't do that. Don't worry about it. But, but it's really hard work, right? Putting on patience is very, very difficult. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to sometimes forgive. And we all kind of come from different, different areas. We have different backgrounds. We have different preferences. And so if you look at the church, the church as a whole, a lot of times there's some huge differences in the church because God is not a respecter of persons. So he saves people he doesn't look at what preferences they necessarily like as far as music or, or maybe where they're from or, or, you know, just different different things, different hobbies that they have. He doesn't necessarily say, well, you have these hobbies, so we're going to put you in this church. That's not how that works. And so we get this church, and we get people that are very different. And what we know about differences is differences sometimes can lead to conflict if we don't show grace and we don't show love. And so Paul says that love binds us together. And this love is not like the love that we hear our culture say, you know, like we need to love by just being so overly tolerant of everyone and ex maybe accepting, just accept everything, everything's okay, all you need is love, right? Uh, you know, it, it, the Bible teaches that this is so much different than that, right? And, and the culture would say that, you know, love is kind of more of a feeling, an emotion, and so you can fall in love, you can fall out of love, you can love your friend, and then you can decide, well, this isn't working out, and you can just walk away from your friend, walk away from your spouse, walk, you know, and so so there's this, this teaching that our culture gives us, and then there's sacrificial agape love that we see in Scripture. And that, that true love that unites us as believers is only available through the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can just kind of, you know, just work really hard to do. It's not something we can just push through. It's so much bigger than that. And there's only one way that we can stay bound together, and that's through the love of Christ, His work in us. Moving forward, that we, we see that this love of Christ can lead to us living in perfect harmony. Now, obviously, we're striving for that. I don't think anybody's living in perfect harmony this side of eternity. But through love, Jesus can help us to love others in harmonious love. And John, John 17, 23, we see Jesus say this. 
I in them and you in me, that they, may, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. You know, we hear about becoming one flesh as far as a husband and wife. Uh, we hear about, you know, the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling our body, and so he's living in us. But what we don't hear preached a lot is the unity of the church body, that we are also to be one body, that we're to be single-minded with Christ, as we've talked about before, as the head, and us all united as the body attaches to the head, and we are his hands and his feet, and we're, we're, we're active for him, not for ourselves. However, I'm sad to say I think many churches in America have, have developed this reputation of being exclusive, clicky, uh, you know, kind of unwelcoming, judgmental, and not friendly. And, and how, do we, how do we combat that default of human pride and selfishness where it's like, ah, we got our group here, we don't want anybody else. And praise God, I'm blessed to see that that's not how this church is. And I, and I am so blessed to look around and see people here when we have a new person come in, just how welcoming everyone is. And I praise God for that. But not every church is like that, and not every Christian is like that. And I pray that we always maintain that love, that, hospi- that ho- hospitality when someone comes in, knowing that even if somebody's different than us, even if they have different hobbies, different interests, they look different, they're from a different place, that we still love them because the, the love of Christ is loving them through us. Not ourselves, just trying harder, but, but us allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us to others. Then moving forward, we come to this, this phrase, peace of Christ. And uh, if, if we're looking at verse 15 here. And the peace of Christ is such a glorious blessing. I mean, peace is something that's hard to come by these days. You watch the news, it'll steal your peace really quick. But we know that peace is a promise to believers. We see that in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruits of the Spirit. And we also see it here in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I'm just going to read that one. Paul says here in, in Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, wow, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we live in a world that is desperately looking for peace. Everybody's like, okay, I, I want to find that peace. And so we turn to substances or to pleasure or to something. Men and women are looking in all the wrong places to try to find this peace. You know, something's got to give me that peace. Or let's just unite around this cause. And, and we're all going to unite around this certain cause, and we're going to go after it right there too. And, and that's going to bring us peace if we all can unite around that cause. But brothers and sisters, there are good causes and bad causes, and we support good causes. Obviously, we just did that walk for Crossroads Pregnancy Center to, to, for preborn life. We definitely want to support causes. But you know what? That uniting around that cause is not what leads to peace. It is the peace of Christ. We, we go through causes like that not to unite us, but we go through causes like that because we are united in Christ. And so there's only one way that we can be united, and that is through the love of Christ. He's the only one where perfect peace and perfect unity can be found. Then we get to the end of, of verse 15. I, I, love, I love this. And be thankful. Man, that, isn't that just to the point? Like Paul is just, just, just hits it and be thankful. You know, after he's given these just huge commands about love and peace, and then he ends with and be thankful. And thankfulness can be public or private, either with others or even with God. We can be publicly thankful. We can be privately thankful and inwardly thankful. Thankfulness is a cure for jealousy and coveting. It is a cure for those things, for idolatry. It is a cure for those things. When we're thankful for what the Lord has given us, what he has done for us, 
just the relationship that he desires with us, when we are grateful for all of that, it is a cure for those things, for coveting. Because now we don't covet other things, other people, other situations. And in my own life, I can, I can attest to some of the most peaceful times that I've had and, and worshipful times I've had in my life. Are the times where I'm just walking outside and it's a beautiful night and I see the stars, I see the moon. I'm like, wow, look at your majesty. And I'm just peaceful because I'm worshiping God. I'm looking at just how great that he is or I'm reflecting on my family and just how God has given me so much and such a wonderful wife and children and such a wonderful situation. And I just praise God and I thank him. And that thankfulness leads to contentment. That, that, that thankfulness leads to a right relationship with God and worship that, that frankly is somewhat better than even sometimes when I'm singing to the Lord, when I'm doing things like that. It leads to that contentment that we can have. If we want to have love and unity and peace, we must start with being thankful to the Lord first and foremost. Thankful for his great love for us. Thankful for his death on the cross for our sins. Thankful for salvation, that he didn't just leave us hanging. That he didn't just, didn't just leave us on our path to hell, but that he rescued us. And he died for us, and then he gave his life for us. The Lord is gracious. Number two, you should worship God through the way that you live. Through the way that you live. Let me read verses 16 and 17 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the word of Christ means both the gospel and the entire scripture. So this is the word of God that we're seeing here, and we should proclaim it with our mouths and our lives. And we are told that this word should dwell in us richly. That means that it should be profitable, right? Being richly means that you're seeing a profit for it. We're seeing change. We're seeing growth through that. And we are, we're to teach and admonish one another with the word. And teaching, I think that's more of like transferring information in an instructive way, you know, teaching. But then we have this admonishing, which is more of, it is teaching, but it's teaching with some emphasis, with some oomph, kind of a passionate encouragement, maybe even a call out at times. It's a warning at times as well. So we should teach each other, but we should also admonish one another because we love one another, right? And if you truly love someone and you see them in sin or going into sin, it's hard not to be a little bit emotional about that and be like, hey man, don't, don't do that. You know, don't go that, that route. You know, obviously in humility and gentleness and love, not in condescending like I'm better, you know, that, that's obviously not the way to approach that. But, but, but when we love our brothers and sisters, we should teach and admonish. We should have some passion with that. And we all need encouragement. And godly wisdom, we're, do, we're to do this in godly wisdom, and that means being able to take the knowledge that we're given through the Word of God and use it in the right way at the right time. You know, we've talked about that in, in the past before, too, as far as what is wisdom. And sometimes you can have good knowledge, but you don't have the wisdom in order to be able to use that and to discern how to use that and when to use that. There's a time and a place to sometimes teach. There's a time and a place to sometimes admonish. There's a time, sometimes, and place to pray and to just be silent for a little while and let the Holy Spirit work as well. But how are we to do this admonishing and teaching as a believer? If we seek to be able to put off the bad things, put on the good things, and, and help others do that as well, we, we, have to necessar we necessarily have to use the Word of God, the Bible. I, I think sometimes in our churches, maybe even worse in our churches, because we, we obviously pray for one another, we'll share things that are more personal. Sometimes the world doesn't share as much. And so we, we share things and... and well-meaning believers a lot of times want to give their input. 
and say, ah, you know, this, well, I think, I think you should do this. I think if I was in your situation, I would do this. And, and so often that I think has not been vetted by the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, if you catch yourself saying, I think, but when you're talking to someone else, a believer or unbeliever, and you say, I think, take a step back and just stop right there. And think in your mind what you're thinking, how does it measure to God's Word? Is it truth or is it not? And so often we can allow our experiences, our biases, uh, you know, just kind of maybe, maybe where we, how we grew up, maybe how our parents did it, maybe how our grandparents did it, uh, you know, maybe how this worked for me, right? There's some things that may work for you, but they may be sinful. And so you shouldn't tell other people to do that as well. Sometimes God is merciful and allows us to, to do something that's frankly not the best thing and still will bless us anyway because he's merciful, right? We were just talking about Cain this morning and, and, and Cain kills his brother, Abel, but yet God shows mercy and protects him from being killed by somebody else. That's mercy. Did he deserve that? So, I mean, it turned out better than it should have for him. And sometimes that happens with us too. But anytime we give advice, we want to make sure that we if we start off something, I think we should hit, a, hit, hit, a, hit the brakes, say the word of God says, this is how I would handle this. Because when I read the word, here are some scriptures. Here's how this is addresses this in principle. And that's why, my friends, biblical counseling is so important. You know, counseling is, is great. I think counseling is a wonderful thing. But you need to make sure you have a biblical counselor because there's a lot of people that have a lot of things that they think. And what they think is not what the Bible says. And there's a lot of counselors out there with PhDs, and they're called doctor, and they look like that they're very intelligent, but they have worldly wisdom. And that is not going to bring about healing. It's not going to bring about peace. It's not going to bring about unity. It's not going to bring about harmony. You need someone who, who counsels you in a biblical way. And there are strong biblical counselors out there. And if you need one, talk to me about it, and we'll, we'll try to get you in touch. Sometimes instead of biblical thinking, we can have stinking thinking. We don't want to have that. So, <laughs> uh, My kids probably would like that one, I figured. But um, Moving forward, we see that we're also commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And this is maybe more of what we think about worshiping. You know, but we just saw that actually worshiping was also teaching and admonishing, that there was an aspect of worshiping there. But here we see singing to the Lord. And there's just something about when we gather together in the, as a body of believers, and we're all here, and we're all lifting our voices up to the Lord. And why is that such a big deal? And I think it's because each one of us, if you look at the Old Testament, right, there was a temple. And everyone came to the temple, and they would sing and worship to God in that place. And it was, I'm sure, a, a majestic thing. The glory of the Lord would fill the, the area, and it was, I'm sure it was very majestic. But now, where is the temple of God? It's in you, right? And so we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So when we gather together and we lift up our, our, our hearts to the Lord, when we fellowship even, we're just hanging out drinking some coffee, just hanging out. We're all gathered as individual temples of the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling inside of us, we who are saved believers. And so when we sing to the Lord and we lift up our voices to him, that is such a special blessing. And so we don't want to miss that aspect. And that is why gathering together in the fellowship, that's why Hebrews 1025, we're not to neglect me together, because that is so glorifying to God. When multiple temples of the Holy Spirit come together and we worship God and we glorify him, he is honored and glorified. So let's approach these three ways we are commanded to sing to the Lord. The first one is we are we should sing psalms. We should sing psalms. And the per first one's pretty easy to understand, right? I mean, psalms, it's most likely referring to the Old Testament book of psalms. Uh, the uh, 
Uh, Israel would sing these psalms at different times. Uh, there, was a, there were psalms of ascent in which they, when they have, uh, went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on this hill, so no matter what direction you came, you're going uphill uh, in order to get to Jerusalem. Kind of like your parents when they were going to, to school and they, they walked uphill uh, to school and they walked uphill. I, I don't think that's really possible, but, 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 but it seemed like it was possible. I'm sure your parents always said that. We walked uphill both ways in the snow, even in July. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so there were different types of psalms. Sorry, I digress. Um, and so, so if you look, there are other genres, lamentation, royal psalms, thanksgiving, among many others. And today, many of our song, songs actually have psalms. Uh, today, My Soul Will Wait is actually Psalm 62. If you really read Psalm 62, you'll see how much of that psalm is in that first song that we sang today. Number two, we should sing hymns. Hymns are an expression of praise to God. Uh, there's some thinking that actually a lot of the hymns are actually maybe more New Testament scripture too. Uh, and we see a couple that may, be, may have been early church hymns, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, which we preached on weeks ago, and then Philippians 2, 6 through 11, which is referred to as the Christ hymn. So, so there's that as well. And then finally, we, we should sing spiritual songs, spiritual songs. And John MacArthur in his commentary on Colossians says that spiritual song, songs should express what God has done for us. And we kind of see a good, good uh, example of this in Revelation 5, 9 through 10. We, we see John say here, and they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's one of the reasons why we really try to pick Christ-honoring and Christ-centered songs and not man-centered songs when we sing here at Crosspoint. I know you might hear you might hear us not really use a lot of the songs you may hear on the radio, some of which we do, some, some of which we don't. And it's because we want to make sure when we're worshiping God that everything is focused on Him and not us. You may see us pick a, a call to worship song, that first song, maybe a, a song that may be about us bringing praise to God to remind us, hey, this is what we're here for. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to make sure as we get into our worship set that we are all about God and what he's done for us. That we're all about exalting him because we're here to magnify God and not ourselves. We're not here to say, God, this is what I'm bringing to you. I, I'm here to, you know, do this for you. I'm here to do that. And granted, we should, should have that type of a heart, right? We, we need to have that heart like whatever you ask. But we have to watch that sometimes we can become prideful in that. God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make you known because I'm going to do this. And we have to realize that even anything good we do, it's Christ doing it in us. So, so we never can boast in anything that we do. We can't say, I'm going to do this. It's like, no, if the Lord wills, I'll do this. I'm going I'm to set out to try to do this, but I can only do it by your power and your strength. So we want to make sure that as we sing songs, that we really truly listen to the words, that we truly listen to the theology of those songs. There's a lot of great stuff out there, but there's also a lot of not so great stuff. We want to make sure as we're singing those songs that we're not singing words that are theologically inaccurate. Uh, so as you listen to songs, make sure before you really get into them, and they can bring you in with these wonderful, wonderful, uh, you know, builds and these beautiful, uh, you know, kind of synthesizer things in them, and they can really draw you in emotionally. And you can realize that what you're seeing is not really what you want to be seeing. So just take a, take a really good listen to those and make sure that you vet those songs. Paul reiterates this command again in verse 16 to what? Be thankful. It's just amazing how, how and we're going to see that one more time here as well. Our thankfulness leads to contentment. Let's go and get to verse 17. So moving on to our last, last verse for today, we get to an amazingly powerful statement. 
Ultimately, our entire life is to do what? To glorify God. To glorify Christ. Everything that we say and that we do should glorify Him. It should make much of Him. It should magnify Him. And if there's something that you can't do, like that you go to do, and you can't do it, and say, I'm glorifying God, or I'm glorifying Christ, you shouldn't do it, right? Ultimately, our entire life is to do that. And this isn't really a terrible, terribly difficult scripture to understand. I mean, I think that it makes per- perfect sense there. It says, okay, I need to do everything to glorify God. That's, you know, whether I, what I say or what I do. Okay, I got that. But the application of this verse is difficult. I don't know about you all, but if you really think about what that entails, everything. This isn't just what I do for a little while. You know, it's everything that we do. And I think we could all answer that question, do we do everything to glorify God? I think we could all, if we have any integrity, we're going to say no. Not everything that we do glorifies God, but it should, and we need to strive for that. In order to understand how to apply this, I I really want to break it down into two ways. The first one is we should glorify God with whatever we say, so in word, whatever we say. And we discussed our need for gracious speech not that long ago. However, taming our tongue is difficult, probably one of the most difficult things and the hardest things to do in the world, according to James. James 3, 7 through 8, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's saying, man, lions can be tamed, crocodiles can be tamed, but you know what? You can't get your mouth under control. You know, like a lot of people, we just struggle with this. And and then we see Matthew, we just talked, I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago, I guess. Now, Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we see that the, it's not really a mouth problem. It's not a tongue problem. It's not what you say problem. It's a heart issue. And can we tame the tongue? James says nobody can. And he's right, because none of us can tame the tongue. But God can help us, and he can sanctify us and make us more like him. And he can change our heart. We don't just start with what we're saying. We start, we start with our mind being renewed by the word of God, by our heart being changed by the Holy Spirit. And through those two things, then the outward words that come out of our mouth will change. When It kind of reminds me of if you go to a soda machine and you've got Coke coming out, when you, when you press, it doesn't matter how much you press on that or how you try to tweak it, Coke's going to come out because that's what it's hooked to, right? If you want pure water to come out, you're going to have to go to a source that is pure water. And frankly, there's nothing good in us by ourselves. Our flesh is sinful. And so if we want to have good things come out of our mouth, it's got to be connected to the Holy Spirit. It's got to be connected to God, and that has to be the source. And so we can try to change through behavioral therapy or try, try to change what we say through positive thinking and all these kind of things, but the heart is still going to be wicked and evil. And we're still going to, when we get mad, when we get squeezed, when those things, bad things are going to come out. So we need to go to the source. We need to ask the source. We need to ask the Holy Spirit and God to help us to have, to have hearts that are pure, clean hearts. And if that is something that you struggle with, and I think a lot of people do struggle with their mouth, it is so hard sometimes to not just have these quick-witted, sharp responses. I think we all can struggle some. But that is, I pray that you repent, that you turn away, that you ask God to help you to glorify Him because there's nothing that really kills our witness more than having being a quick, quick-mouthed person. It really turns people away a lot of times. And number two, with whatever we do, here's another big one, right? Everything that we do. I don't think any of us can say that we do everything to glorify Christ when everything that we do does that. But we should, again, strive for that. And I'm just going to ask some questions. I just kind of want you to think about these questions. Do you glorify God with your job? Are you a hard worker? And would you hire yourself? 
You know, would, would, you, would you hire you to, would you pay you for the job that you do? And that can be in the home, that can be at the workplace, that can be volunteering somewhere, whatever it is. Do you treat your employee and fellow employees and boss well? Do, are you a joy to, for somebody to, to, to be over you? Do you glorify God with your family? If you're a child, do you obey your parents quickly? Do you, do you bring them joy? Do you have a good attitude? Or do you cause strife and difficulty? If you're a parent, are you overly harsh with your children? Do you lead them in the word? Do you lead them with family devotions and worship? Even, or your wife, or do you lead them with family devotions or worship? Or other people, grandchildren even? In a couple weeks, we're going to have a sermon that hits really hard on, uh, on the family. And so prepare for that one. It's, it's going to be a, a little bit more of a difficult one. And the family is being attacked from so many angles. And so we have to do family right. I mean, frankly, it's in our church name, Cross Point Family Church. And that's because we want to make sure we do families right. We want to have husbands and wives do life right together. We want to have children and parents do life right together. And we want to have the individual body, the family of believers. Family's not just your blood relatives or those kind of things or whoever's adopted into your family. No, we're all adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And we need to be doing family well as a church collective as well. Another thing, do you glorify God with your hobbies? Are they, are they good and holy hobbies, or are they not? Are they things that bring glory to God, or are they, do they not? Do they take you places you shouldn't go? And moving forward, I mean, we can keep applying this endlessly. And in your mind, just go through this week and start thinking about the different things that you do, and does this bring God glory? Is this bringing God glory, or, or am I wasting my life in these areas, or am I just going completely away from God completely? I'm <coughs> sorry. I've got some allergies that have been pretty bad here lately, but we're, we're going to hopefully get over that. But moving forward, we can apply this to everything. And my, my goal for all of us, for me, for myself and for you all included, is that we glorify God in every single way we can. That we, uh, our chief end of man, as we see in the catechisms, right, is to, to glorify God and enjoy Him always. And I pray that, that, it's, that, we, that we glorify Him even when it's maybe stormy weather that kind of looks out there or it's blue skies, that we, we're thankful for, for the relationship that we have anyway. And I just want to, I want us to kind of just finish here with Colossians 3, uh, 15 through 17, and I've kind of broken down uh, here. What do we see? We, uh, we, we see just a, a very common theme in these last three verses, three of the four verses we covered today. And be thankful with thankfulness and giving Thanks to God. I, I don't think you have to be a, a PhD or an MD or a lawyer or whatever to be able to see maybe a common theme that we see in these verses. As we're talking about how to worship God, we continually come back to this idea of being thankful. And Paul wants us to know that being thankful is key to being able to worship God well. Uh, thankfulness to God removes all of our idols in our lives, and it helps us to keep our focus on Christ. To come to a close, I've got seven points there at the b- bottom of your handout that we're going to kind of kind of read here, and I, I want y'all to go ahead and just read with me if you don't mind. Everybody has their handout, and it'll be up here as well. It's kind of small up here, so we can worship God by loving others and loving Him. Number two, we can worship God by living in peace and unity. Number three, we can worship God by being thankful. Number four, we can worship God by teaching and admonishing each other in the wisdom of the word. Number five, we can worship God by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Number six, we can worship God by bringing him glory in all that we say. And number seven, we can worship God by bringing him glory in all that we do. I pray that as you live your life, that the first and foremost thankfulness and peace and love are all there because they're all fruits of the Spirit. We should all have them because of the Holy Spirit living in us. I pray that, that we're willing to step aside and let God work in us. My friends, God, our God never fails to use a willing vessel. If you're willing to step aside and humble yourself before him, he will do mighty things through you and in you. And then I pray that you stand in awe and you worship him for it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, being our God. Thank you that we have things to be thankful for, uh, that we have a God who is worthy of all the honor and the praise and the glory. Thank you for the love that you have given us that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for salvation. God, if anyone here has not experienced that, that salvation and they're like, well, I don't, I don't understand what I really have to be thankful for, Lord, may, may they come to a saving knowledge of you. May they understand just how great you are and how loving that you are, that you took their sin upon the cross, that you died some 2,000 years ago after coming to earth, living a sinless life, that you were crucified, that you were buried, that three days later you rose from the dead, and that now you're at the right hand of the Father. And if they put their faith in you and their trust in you and they repent and turn from their sins, that they can be forgiven, that they can be so thankful because they have went from death to life. They've been born again. Lord God, we thank you so much for salvation. For us who are saved, God, I pray that we worship you well, <coughs> that we start with thankfulness, that we don't covet what other people have, that we don't look at, at what we don't have, but we look at what we do have, and that is first and foremost salvation as we've talked about but also the other many blessings you poured out upon us. Help us to worship you and be thankful and to be gracious. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray that you help us to go throughout this week worshiping you in all the ways that we've talked about thus far. God, we love you and thank you and bring us back again next week. Amen. Have a blessed week.